to another episode of Pirate Monk Podcast. Boy, we are cranking right along, Aaron. I think this is the third week in a row, perhaps the fourth week in a row. Uh, it's beautiful. I really look forward to Wednesday mornings and uh, and having our weekly conversation. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. We uh, yeah, doing, doing well. It's took the family to the fair last night, which is always just you know. I go to the same fair I went to as a child. So a county fair? Yeah, uh, yes, it's a state fair. Oh, the state fair. The yes. California state fair is near you. Yep, past Robles. So we get. We get people like Garth Brooks, you know, singing if you I don't know. I just said Garth Brooks. I don't like country music. So there's probably other concerts that were even better. It wasn't the one. No, we went no, to. no, none was better than Garth Brooks. We, so <laughs> we went to Mickey Dolan of the Monkees, which was the most tragically horrible uh, and sad. Uh, oh, Mickey Dolan's. Yeah. And my kids listened to the Monkees all day, getting excited. Yeah. And, uh, then it just was horrible. And I'm sorry, Mickey, if you're listening to this and you feel bad, I don't mean <laughs> to make you feel bad, but I feel like you're surrounded by people that are telling you what you're doing is good. And it's not, <laughs> it's really bad. So that was oh. a message to Mickey Dolan's on the pirate monk podcast. <laughs> that was unexpected. <laughs> wow. How's it, how's it going for you? You know, it's going, uh, it's going well here. Allie and I, uh, you know, life, uh, the pace of life has been very fast. This uh, Samson House, the new nonprofit that's been formed to support the work of the Samson Society is just picking up speed, uh, st- steam like a, uh, like, like a freight train. So we wake up every day just to kind of see what appointments God's made for us today. It's, it's, a, it's a very cool thing. We're going to be talking about some, some resting and being in in the routine, in the nah, the rhythm, that's what it is, the yeah. rhythm of the story God's put you in. Yeah. And, uh, man, I was reminded being up in Yosemite this weekend how much my soul needs to be away in nature, mm. smelling, smell, well, it mostly smelled like smoke, but, but occasionally getting the whiff of the pine trees that surrounded us. So how do you tell yourself it's okay <laughs> to stop? Yeah. No, I mean, as uh, life is speeding up here, I'm finding that I have to really be deliberate about carving out time and uh, forcing myself into a quiet place during the course of the day, or at least a few times during the week. Um, and f- for me, what I've found is I have to take uh, – strategic steps to make sure that I get that time. For me, I have to leave the house because there's always things here in the house to do. And if I don't have something to do, there's a good chance Allie's going to sense the opportunity and come up with something for me to do. Or the, uh, I have to go someplace and I have to leave my phone and my computer behind. Hmm. Uh, So I have found a very comfortable leather chair in a public space in Franklin, in a place that I'm not often recognized, where I can sit and actually spend 45 minutes to an hour. Wow. I, I was going to ask where it was, but then everybody would start showing up there. So let's keep it a secret. I don't even want to know. <laughs> it sounded like yeah. the frothy monkey until you said that nobody knows you. So there's no way that's the frothy yeah. monkey. No, it's not the frothy monkey. It is oh. another place. 
Yeah, I just it is an undisclosed that. location. Undisclosed. Yeah. Strictly confidential. Uh, well, I, I think that's great. I think you're right. The leaving the phone and computer. What a simple thing that changes a lot. Yeah. It, it, when I go, <laughs> I've been thinking about this the last year. If I have to go take a kid to a doctor or I have to go to an appointment and I know I'll probably have a 20 mm-hmm. or 30 minute wait. Um, but because I'm going there, I know, hey, I can't really do stuff for other people. So leave my phone at home. Be yes. unavailable. It's crazy, A, how anxious it make, made me first. Like just a lot of yeah. anxiety because I could be checking something. But yeah. then how, how freeing. Even, mm. even the fact that Jenny can't get a hold of me to say, hey, can you swing by the store on the way home and pick up these five things? Yeah. There's just no way to get in touch with me. Yeah. Like good old days. Even before yeah. beepers. That was, that was the beginning, <laughs> the beepers. <laughs> and then we I was talking have, to a... Fr- yeah, go ahead. I was talking to a friend the other day who was about to go off on a, on a one-week vacation to a secluded beach on the west coast of kind of like in the armpit of Florida where there's just no coverage. So he says they go out on this island and there's a beach and there is ad- there's no cell coverage. There's no club in town. There's no store in town and they go for an entire week. And I just wanted to get in the car with them. Yeah. I can't imagine a whole week unplugged. Yeah. You know, it's weird because there's so many people in Yosemite Valley now. Cell coverage is amazing there, which is fairly recent. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so we're out. There's no electricity. There's no running water where we're at. Right. But perfect cell coverage. And I was yeah. there with Abby, and she was a little afraid at night because it was very dark, and you know maybe there's bears out and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, we can watch like one episode of Netflix something if it helps you go to sleep. So oh really? Here we are camping with Netflix streaming where there's no electricity. Yeah, absolutely. And and it felt so wrong. I do say that as a confession. That feels yeah. really inappropriate, but it it did help the girl sleep. So. You know, it's amazing. I was talking to a friend a couple days ago about the uh, ubiquity of pornography now globally. And this is a guy who lives and works in Africa. And uh, I noticed this last time I was there. It seemed like even the Maasai tribesmen standing on one leg beside the road uh, had a smartphone. And, uh, and Larry said, yeah, he goes, you know, he doesn't, you know, it, uh, you know, the typical African won't have indoor plumbing, but he'll have a cell phone. He'll have a smartphone. And there's and uh, the telecommunications companies have found now that you don't have to go to the extent, the expense of running wires everywhere, it's actually pretty cheap to get everybody hooked up and then get them on a monthly payment plan. You can make a lot of money in a place that doesn't have a lot of money. Wow. Um, there's a great cell coverage over most of the continent now. So we've hooked these uh, cultures on our Western value and what comes along with it is the Western pace of life and all the program dissatisfaction that drives consumerism. Well, I'm certainly glad we're going into the third world and bringing important things to them. Things to clean water and cell phones. That's, you know, that's fine. (laughs) 
Well, hey, we got, we got to get to the mailbag, so we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with your letters, or at least a letter. I'm not sure what Nate will pull out, but we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. What are we doing? We're back. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're back on the Pirate Monk podcast, and uh, it is time to open the mailbag. We've gotten lots of mail. Thank you so much. Some of you we will answer privately. Uh, a few of them we'll pick through and answer here, or at least comment on. On the show, we've got one here from Greg. He says, hello, pirates. Just wanted to say thanks for the music you choose for the podcast. I've been digging Mo Leverett for some time. I think these are the days might be my favorite from Mo. Then you featured Blue Council, a blues council last year sometime. I have all three of their albums now. And more recently, Good Little Giants. Uh, the Arrows album has really spoken to my wife and I. Good stuff, all of it. Also, some of the books you've featured have really spoken to me. Jesus Bread and Chocolate but is my favorite so far. Uh, Nate, you may not remember me, but I met you twice about nine years ago. I saw you at Joe Gibbs Racing in Charlotte on a Saturday night. Ended up at a table with you when we separated into groups of six for breakout meetings. And the word of the day was story. And then the following Wednesday, I caught up with you and your road trip companions in Columbia, South Carolina. That was the day after you picked up Daniel Rasm. Oh, we went, on we went your to way play. to my house. Yeah. Man, this guy's right in the middle of this, the story. Yeah. Went to a place called the Flying Saucer for a meeting after the meeting. I sat with you and Larry Hayfley and some others. In the last podcast, you mentioned the book your daughter is planning. I told my wife about the premise, and we agree it should be good. Maybe she'd be a good guest for the podcast when the book comes out. Hint, hint. Oh, maybe just. Thanks again uh, for the music. And everything in general. Boy, people like your your uh, music choices there, Aaron. Well, uh, you know what? I, I will tell you the secret. Okay. After editing the show, uh, which based on, you know, I will leave in the fact that you weren't sure what segment we were doing. Because this is totally disjunct. We've usually done the interview by this portion, all that. My favorite part is having it all done and pulling out my hard drive and picking songs that first mm. delight me, but then that I hope will connect 
with other people. And I've, I've recently thought I need to list what the names of the songs are in the description, because if I want people to be so delighted and they don't know what it is, it'll be temporary indeed. But I am glad that this, uh, that our friend here is enjoying it because I love getting to do that. That's fantastic. That's great. And I, I love it. I mean, he, we just had, uh, Scott, yeah. Phillips on last week, and this guy's already listened to Arrows, and that's great. Very good. Uh, and also, he's bringing up the uh, story piece, which uh, in our interview, he's already on the theme of today's show. So that's the perfect letter. Thanks for sending it in. You had no idea that uh, that and you reminding me of old Daniel Rassam, Gary Sibley, <laughs> going to California was a great week. So do you have another Our, one? There? Yeah, I got another one from Kevin. He says, uh, Nate and Aaron, I'm a longtime listener. I need to apologize for being a silent listener and not letting you men hear how much your podcasts mean to me. I'm a utility worker. I spend eight hours or more per day in the cab of my work truck alone. I'm blessed to be able to tune in via a cellular modem on my laptop. So me and thousands of alley dogs get to experience e-community with you guys. I'm a Samson brother. I attend a Samson-esque meeting of about 18 men. Your podcasts are a regular discussion point in our groups. Thank you for your efforts toward less sporadic postings. I can only imagine the logistics and the effort to do the podcast cross-continent. Only eternity will reveal the depth of healing that you men through Jesus are providing. I especially love the communion episode and the Shad Robichaux episode. May God richly bless you as you pour life into us men and consequently into our wives and kids through your sacrifices. That's from Kevin in Tohoka, Texas. Thank you, Kevin. That was very kind. And he has now introduced me to the term alley dogs. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, my. I'm not sure what it is, but I want to be one because it sounds, I don't know, that's pirate times two to be an alley. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Song on it. Uh, are we, we're heading into interview now? Is it time? I mean, this is yeah, I think we should. Fun. I think we should. We got a great interview on tap. Uh, we're going to go a little philosophical. We're going to go a little theological and maybe a little pornographic uh, in the next episode. I feel like the pirate. Break. During the break, Nate's going to figure out a better way to say that, but we don't put it in the show. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We have our special guest and friend, Tony Kriz, today. Uh, 
Tony has been embarking on all kinds of uh, strange and new adventures in his life, but one we want to talk about today, actually, I'm going to make you give a a Cuba update as well, because I'm really curious about that. But the main thing we're going to talk about is writing and how God has put the story and the poetry in our hearts to discover him and the world better than if we didn't have it. I can't even, can you imagine not having no story? What would life be? Mm. Kill me now. It's just weird. Can't even imagine. Okay, so where do where do you want to start? Do you want to give the Cuba update so we can then just immerse ourselves? Let's go Cuba, baby. Let's go Cuba. Just got back a couple days ago. Okay. okay. Wow. So, so what in the world are you doing in Cuba? Yeah, there's an organization here that's based in Vancouver, Washington that uh, called Forward Edge. And uh, they do support and uh, care for the developing world at uh, several places. They do crisis relief and pastor support. And they've, uh, they, they've recently been given some contacts in Cuba in the non-state-sponsored church. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I went with just a handful of, of people to go and uh, meet a bunch of these underground pastors and spend time with them and learn about what they're doing and hang out in the city of Santiago de Cuba. And wow. Wow. I mean, I, I've lived in the developing world. I've been to over 50 countries and I have to say that Cuba was surprising. I didn't know that I could be surprised anymore. Yeah. So what, what I'm curious, what surprised you? Cause you've been in some weird places. I've been in a lot of weird places, but um, you know, it was uh there was a there was a there was a beautiful simplicity to the country that really shocked me, and um, I went with this handful of evangelical pastors, and um, I remember we were sitting one night and we were talking, and one of the men from Texas said, "You know, you know we're here in this country, and this country's so broken and it's so bad." Basically, is what it was saying, and I was like, "Stop for a minute." <laughs> Stop. Would you look around at what we have? Just look around. Look at the relationships. Look at the community. Look at the neighborhood. Look at the dynamic. Look at the, the sensuality. Look at the, look at the artistry. Look at the music and the dance and the colors. I mean, we, they, there's stuff here that we have lost. We have mm-hmm. lost in the West. And they've, they've, I mean, by any virtue, I don't know if it's virtue, but they've managed to hold on to this, this vibrancy, this tapestry of life and connectedness that I'm so jealous of and the simplicity of life, the, the, the gift of walking, the the gift. That's that's weird. I was talking to um, a Mongolian a little bit ago about kind Mm. of post communism life in Mongolia. And yeah, his description made me think that they did lose so much of that. It seems like communism sucked a lot of that joy and vibrancy out of a lot of countries. So what, how did, how did Cuba keep it? And that seems unusual. I, I can't explain it. All I know is I was stimulated the entire time I was there. I found a great, uh, tremendous humor in the people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, yeah, and you know, I lived in the post-communist world in Eastern Europe back in the '90s, where I did experience there was sort of this 
this carefulness, this distance until someone knew you were trustworthy because right. there was a suspicion that sort of like, I didn't experience that at all in Cuba. There was this, there was such a, it was such an open and uh, embracing from the first moment and honesty and even asking really hard questions like asking people about racism and oppression and these sorts of issues and finding um, the answers free and generous. It was mm. very, it was, it was a gift. I, it was better. Uh, honestly, I, I don't experience it in America very much. What I was mm. experiencing. Was that just among the Christians in Cuba, Tony, or would you say that's true of the culture? Well, uh, honestly, I was only there for less than a week, and yeah. uh, most people around were pastors or people in churches, so it'd be hard mm-hmm. for me to, to make that okay. appreciation. Mm-hmm. So what's happening with the church there? Is it's, it ready to explode or just ready to settle into a small getting into people's hearts differently, or is it already happening? Yeah, this uh, this network of I mean, I, I spoke to several hundred pastors at this conference and had a chance to visit visit several of these churches that aren't allowed to own property and they're being spied on all the time and um, because they're not state sanctioned, they're not state supported, and um, they're just lovely. I mean, they're just I mean, they're not allowed to to build buildings. So what they do is they build these basically garages it's just a it's just a roof with pillars in their yard and underneath the roof they set up chairs and they have services on sunday and care for kids during the week and do you know bible studies and prayer meetings what all along the way and um so quiet simple um and are they ready to explode i don't know i don't know we we shall see um i the the services I attended had hundreds of people present, and that seemed really beautiful. But I mean, the country by and large. I mean, when I was in Albania, we it was on the it was exploding when I was there, and, and you couldn't help it. I mean, yeah. you had a meeting, and thousands of people would show up, and um, it wasn't like that for sure. Hmm. You took one of your kids, right? You know what? At the last minute, he had to stay behind. Ah. Uh. So I was very curious what that would look like to, how old is he? Like 16? 13, 13. 13. Yeah. I, I drag him out of the other room. I want to hear what a 13-year-old sees of Cuba. No. <laughs> no. So, so when sad. are you going back? What are you, what's your next step? I don't know. I don't know at, at this point. Um, but I do, I do want to go back. It's, it's, it's on my bucket list now to spend more time there. I want to go pull a Hemingway. And mm-hmm. go for like a year and live on the beach and write about well, old men fishermen. Well, that is a, a perfect segue into this project that you have uh, been working on in the fiction area. So first, walk us into how did you, Mr. Uh, I'm just going to write this down in nonfiction terms and tell you all what to believe and think because I'm smarter than you, Tony Chris, <laughs> cross into <laughs> the world of novel writing well uh like all the best things in life i didn't do it it happened to me it was done to me and uh about a year ago i was sitting and having lunch with a friend of mine and uh, he was talking he was you know just talking at me non-stop monologue and in the midst of his words um the top of my head opened up like it was on a hinge and an, and an entire plot for uh a full length novel or a screenplay was dropped in my brain and I, I couldn't let go of it. I, it, it, 
it was like falling in love. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about it for, for really months, this idea for this plot. And so I, um, I finally sat down about four months ago and, and uh, put pen to paper. And it's been, a really, it's been a really hard couple of years for me and for my family. And so it's been hard for me to tap into um, heart, the sort of heart energy necessary to do a, an art project of this, of this level. But a few months ago, I, f I found... I found the sole space to do it, and um, I've got a full manuscript now for a, a novel called Gypsy Boy, and it's been an incredible experience. Wow. So once it's all done and out, we'll have you talk about the book itself. But let's okay. talk about the story, the idea of story. And here's, yeah. here's why I love talking about it. Um, my favorite question in the world is why. Mm -hmm. Because there's just so many things that happen around me that I take for granted and I don't stop and think, wait, other animals don't experience this like I do. I'm a human. I am this creation that has been given this connection to whatever. Story is one of those things. And we live in a strangely story-saturated culture. I mean, just the idea of binge-watching. How many right. stories can I fit into my heart in one night. I think there's probably some negative consequences with that, but it does tap into the fact that God has built into us this connection to story. So start there, go. Yeah. So, um, one of my, um, one of my mentors was a Lakota Sioux man. And, um, he used to say to me that, that God loves story so much that he created humans. And, um, that, the the concept of story uh, we we are so idea addicted in mm -hmm. post in um, this Western philosophical culture uh, that we've really lost our way we've and no, no one is transformed by ideas um, ideas philosophy theology these things are the language of the head story art music these things are the language of the heart. And the job of the head is to justify the decisions the heart has already made. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking to the head, we're, we're, we're bypassing how human beings orient and lead their lives. And, um, and Aaron, you're right. We, I got to have you defend that statement because there is at least a billion listeners right now that, that heard you say that, uh, Nobody is changed. You say changed or transformed by ideas. Yeah, we're changed by stories. And now ideas, ideas are vessels. They are they are vessels that sometimes embody stories behind them. Um, embed there's embedded stories in them, but but the vast the vast majority of the human experience is to be transformed. Uh, again. Story is the language of the heart, and the job of the head is to justify the decisions the heart has already made. So um, you can you can give people a thousand reasons why they should love gay people, for instance, but until they enter into the story of gay life, uh, I've I've never met anybody who's just been changed by ideas about uh, you know I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna co-equally love the gay community the way I love the heterosexual community. But as soon as they enter into it, it's amazing the transformation. And there's a reason why the beginning of the Old Testament is all stories, and the back end of the Old Testament are prophets and ideas. There's a beginning. There's a reason why the beginning of the New Testament is all stories, and the back end of of the New Testament is all ideas. The the, the 
these these writers they, they're they're guided by God. They're guided by the universe and what makes things work. And they go, let's do this. Let's structure this damn thing the way that actually humans respond. And yet, and yet from our pulpits, all we do is, 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 is open up a fire hose of ideas on people when all they want to do is to, is to have their hearts wrung and sung out into the universe with the idea of stories where, where uh, they're put in a setting and given people that they care about and, and conflict and rising action and climax and resolution the way that God intended us to respond and think. And, um, you know, and, and maybe I'm just a sucker for these things because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, watch, I watch a great movie and you, Aaron, you made the comment about bench watching. I think, I think so much of that is, is, is pornography compared to falling in love. And yet you see a truly great story. I watched Lion last night. If you haven't seen this mm. movie, Lion, mm. oh my gosh, it's just, you get to the end and all I want to do is go out and change the world. I want to, I want to, I want to pack a bag and move to India tomorrow. I just can't help myself because the story is so moving. Mm. Mm. What, you talked about Lakota Sioux and what, yeah. what I think when you brought that up is Cultures like them only had a handful of stories that they told over and over that informed their community of their values and their beliefs. Yep. I mean, how many stories, if you were to guess, does any tribal culture have? I don't know. I don't it's, know. Not, it's not a lot. I mean, comparatively. Yeah, it's not a lot like the pornography that we have, but... Right. Um, so what, where, where do you think that line or what do you think the consequences are when we start to cheapen the importance of story by just making it a constant stream? You never have time to process it. What does it mean to my values? Or we don't even admit, perhaps, that the stories we're watching is they are informing my values. They're teaching me. So what, what do you see as the possible consequences of not taking stories seriously? Well, it's the consequence of our entire culture. Uh, we experience it with relationships. We experience it with um, causes that we, we, it's all tourism. We're, we're just, we're like uh, a stone skipping across the top of a pond that never gets a chance to sink down in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can remember sitting in Albania and um, when my, when my host family that I lived with who adop basically adopted me, we would sit every night and they would tell the same stories every night of their country and their culture and their people and their family. And I would hear the stories over and over and over again. And, um, and to them, the stories, they, they, they would lean forward to hear the story for the thousandth time because it had become part of the DNA. It, it had become the soundtrack of their lives. And, um, and I, you know, I, I'm a storyteller by trade, and yet I am. I've been. I have. <laughs> I've been programmed to um, have. Have these people heard this story before? I, I shouldn't tell that story. I, I know. I know this context has heard this one before. I know these friends have heard the story before. I, I should find a new story to tell them. I'm so glad I went to Cuba, so I have some new stories to tell. Because, well, when that, that's actually a denial of so much of the human experience, but um, because I'm paid really to be an entertainer. 
Um, mm-hmm. I hope that's not what I do. I hope what I'm doing is doing this speaking to the heart that we talked about at the beginning. Um, is but in, in reality, I, I'm I am stuck in the same cycle you're talking about, which is this loss of the profundity of of true storytelling. We related. You know, t- I'll go ahead. Yeah. Now. Yeah, Tony, you used the word, the term uh, pornography a little while ago. Yeah. And how that, I think it's, I've become much more aware, even in the last few weeks, uh, about how all stories carry, uh, carry values, communicate values and, and ideas. Uh, and thinking specifically about pornography, you were speaking kind of metaphorically, but I'm speaking now literally about pornography, this, uh, the, just the unlimited variety, unlimited amount of uh, streaming pornography that's available. The stories that are being told in those pornographic scenes, yeah. the values that are being communicated by the story. Now, there's very little variation in the story. It's the same story told over and over and over again uh, with different actors playing what is essentially the same role and communicating values about uh, the role of women, uh, the power of men. uh, And I'm not even, I think what happens is I think we get our, there is this spiritual formation, soul formation that goes on just by ingesting these stories mindlessly without paying attention to the values that are being communicated. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the spiritual formation statement really touched me because these these things like binge watching, like our distraction culture, like our entertainment addiction, like our yeah. computerism, these things are spiritually formative. Yeah. They 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 literally rearrange the Legos of our soul. Right. In a way where uh, we, we no longer can truly participate in reality. And um, I, I get frustrated by church that uh, Pastors think that their their job is to make Christians. Mm-hmm. Their job is not to make Christians. Their job is to nurture humans, mm-hmm. to just help us be human. And um, these these things, these distractions of the soul, make us unhuman, subhuman, mm-hmm. because the Legos of our soul become um, misoriented. And um, and I, I mean, I, I'm I am I'm afraid for my soul. I'm afraid mm. for my soul living in American culture and the things that saturate me day in and day out. Mm. There's some responsibility. <clears throat> I'm, I'm just trying to think what, what do I even do with all of this? Because it's, uh, it's, it's a bit gloomy. I do live in a culture that I'm presented with this saturation <laughs> constantly. Um, as I think about it, though, even using the metaphor of pornography, so switching back from what Nate used as literal pornography to what Paul <laughs> yeah. is using as the metaphor. Well, let's let's go metaphoric. That's so much safer. That's <laughs> like the reality uh, that we look at in addiction and certainly with porn is the escalation factor, right? The more you watch it, there's got to be something more extreme that's hooking into those receptors. So everything gets more extreme and um, dangerous for the individual. And every person has, you know, the spot that they can stop that escalation and some people don't and it becomes part of a much bigger problem. They start acting out in different ways. Yep. But with stories, um, 
I just look at the news and how the news has changed in 20 years, how journalism has changed from what it was 20 or 30 years ago to now where everything has to be outrageous. Everything has to be just yep. like cataclysmic. It's, this is the end. And that it's, it's exhaust. Our hearts weren't built for daily believing this is the end and it's all a disaster. And a friend of mine calls that outrage porn that we love we're, we're addicted to outrage. And I, I still think it is connected to our saturation with story that we're bored uh, and simple things don't interest us. Mm. But the nice thing is sensitivity, we can get it back, right? You stop watching porn and you start to get sensitivity back. Maybe you turn off the outrageous news, the news that's trying to get me sucked into being angry and fearful. And that sensitivity starts coming back. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I'm certainly, um, I want to believe. I want to believe in the simple life, the slow life. Um, I, I, I'm convinced that it's true, even though uh, I have a hard time submitting myself to it. But, um, yeah, I, I was on this Cuba trip. I was reading Hem Hemingway and just sitting quietly and just when I wanted to run out into the city, I mean, there's so much to see and experience, but I just, I just had to stop and sit and just read quietly. And I was, um, and at the end of those 20 minute seasons mm -hmm. sessions, I was just sitting and reading. I was amazed at how, how full my soul felt. Um, the the meaning of that comes from slowness like that so Aaron yeah I want to I want to believe that you're right that sensitivity can return I'm just I, I sometimes I'm afraid that my addictions are too are too embedded mm. honestly mm -hmm. yeah I do think that we need uh, part of our responsibility to our brothers and to ourselves is to continue to pull each other back from the precipice and uh, remind each other how important it is to find, to go to the garden. You yeah. know, that Gethsemane, uh, there's a time to leave the city and go to the garden and to be there together. And, uh, you know, I get all wound up on everything that has to be done. Uh, and, uh, yeah stopping uh, have you ever watched a movie where it's settlers or people living in a one-bedroom house or whatever and you see there's a couple books on a bookshelf right and and you mm -hmm. think wait those are their only books for probably the next 15 years they're gonna read those books over and over and over yeah and then it kind of messes with me where i feel anxious about that like ah do they trade books <laughs> But then I think that uh, The Power of One is in my top three books of all time. I love The Power of One. If the listeners have not read Bryce Courtney's first novel, they should go pick up The Power of One today. But I have to reread that book like every maybe two years, three at the most. Mm. And yet I feel anxious for those people that were forced to just keep until those very sentences, like in the power of one I've read so many times that there are paragraphs and sentences that are just precious to me. They're not going to be boring to reread them. And yet 
culturally, I kind of think I should move on and read a book I haven't read before, either because that's what you're supposed to do or what am I missing out on or all of that. What if, what if, is it okay that I just have 10 books I read for the rest of my life? Mm. Will I be worse off for it? That was a real question. I'm curious what the answer is to that. Well, here's the challenge where I come from, because I hear you say that, and I I nod, and I'm like, oh, I'm so with you. Uh, And I think your soul, if you just read 20 books, 20 great books, okay, not not the crap that's produced, but 20 great books for the rest of your life, I think your soul might be might be healthier. The challenge is we live in the world of um, being communicators and crossing communities and crossing cultures and crossing. And in that world, there's a lexicon that, that is, I, I, I believe I might be wrong, but it's the lexicon that I'm required to be able to dialogue with that requires a breadth of experience um, as a, as a writer, as a, as a traveling speaker and, a, and an educator. And so I, I'm not sure that I can pull it off and continue to do the thing that God made me to do. But from a purely selfish living in a monastery room for the rest of my life, uh, communing with the divine. I think you're right. I think I, my soul might actually be deeper with less as opposed to more because the opposite of more is enough. Mm. The opposite of more is enough. Uh, that's good. Hey, uh, bringing the sub to, uh, the conversation back to porn again. Uh, <laughs> Nate, <laughs> uh, no, I was reading. I was reading uh, Matt Fred, and he made this. He made this. Uh, to me, it's a very telling point. He's talking about the effect on our brains of the streaming technology, and the way porn has been carried along by streaming technology and tube sites, and how that now it's possible to binge watch porn endlessly in clip after clip after clip after clip. What Matt says, we're not at this point really addicted to sex. We're addicted to novelty, hmm. which, which portends real problem for a real relationship. Because if then, so let's say I'm a single man in my 20s. I've been conditioned by porn for 15 years. I finally meet the perfect girl. She's wonderful. She's godly. She's the one God. She can't. And it doesn't matter how good she is, she is only one girl. And have I been so conditioned by and addicted to, uh, conditioned by variety and addict, become so addicted to novelty that it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, for me to follow that admonition in Proverbs, you know, to delight yourself in the wife of your youth. Yeah. It's a problem. Uh, but I do know this from my own experience. I do know that withdrawal from porn made my wife more beautiful to me. Um, I began to recognize what I had lost sight of when the God did give me a truly beautiful woman. Um, but still, uh, you know, I have invited a cast of thousands into my brain. Anyway, there we are. I just had to bring it back to porn. I don't know why I had to. <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it's connected and not just sexually, but with the variety. We're 
we're bored with everything and we yeah. think we need, uh, that's the scary part, right? We think we need variety when we look at thousands and thousands of years of human history and people were totally satisfied with the simple seasons of life, the small yeah. communities they lived in, and they would live and die doing the exact same thing every day with a couple holidays. And that's why I loved about Ethiopia and yeah. being there at the Muscal time that it was one of uh, Elijah's families. Uh, I think they said the only uh, celebration they did every year was the Muscal. So one, one feast day a year where they're going to make their false right. banana bread and that's enough. Right. Wow. And that, and it, it tastes amazing because you have, you've, you've waited yeah. Uh, the, the, mm. the, the gift of delayed gratification, um, your know, alcohol, alcohol was created. So we would remember, not so we would forget. Mm. And, um, it was created to be in these moments that were so special that we would partake to help us to help the very chemistry of our body. Remember the distinctiveness of the wedding or the mm -hmm. feast day or, the celebration and um you know and i drink beer every day and mm -hmm. i'm missing i'm missing the way god created me to be mm. so these are these are all disciplines and choices we can make you cannot go to the the movies for a month and then dress up when you do like when you were a kid and going to the movies was special and you can yeah. make that choice and it can be yeah. special again but it requires that kind of denial knowing I'm not just being some ascetic monk. I want to savor, so I must deny first. I must discipline myself. So yeah. Let's make one more turn here, because I think you talked about God inviting us. God is the great storyteller. Yeah. God set us into a giant narrative where his gospel is the chief narrative to explain all narratives. And then he invites us to participate. So give us that Genesis 1 invitation to participation, and what does it mean for the rest of us? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, the older I get, the more Genesis 1 and 2 becomes sort of the foundation of, of what I understand about reality. Uh, the beautiful historical, mythological story of creation and um, the great creator enters into reality and bestows beauty and story and poetry upon creation. And then uh, at the climax of the story, the very climax of the story, um, Adam and Eve are created and the first words out of Adam's mouth are poetry. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, Hebrew parallelism. And um, the creator's greatest desire was to co-participate with us. Isn't that amazing? Mm. We 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 want to we want to we want to do reductionism and 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 treat humanity like we're like we're pawns in God's scheme. And yet God's greatest desire is that he, is that God would have 
co-participants, co-creators, mm-hmm. to co-walk and co-be. And um, the, the experience of being artists is one of the, one of the greatest ways that we can honor uh, God's creative, creative desire and creative intent upon us and whatever 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 art form looks like for people i mean right now i just finished writing this novel and now uh, the experience of that has been one of the one of the greatest spiritual things i've ever done was to sit with god and to create characters ex nilo and to create scenes um that do not exist outside of my imagination and then and this is the this is the freaky as heck thing about it. And then to have these scenes and these characters talk back to me, mm-hmm. yeah, these characters that that were completely created from within my brain. I did not collaborate on the story at all. They it all came from inside of me. And then on the screen, while I'm trying to write them, have the characters talk back to me and tell me that I'm wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me that I'm 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 writing them incorrectly to. Mm-hmm. To have them give me gifts as I'm writing, like I'll be writing a scene and, and a character will say, hey, put a ball in my hand. Put me in a peacock dress. Mm-hmm. Put me in. I'll go, okay, well, that sounds like good scene setting. I'll go ahead and write that detail. And then 20 pages later, I have that same character come back and go, bring the ball back. Mm-hmm. Bring the dress back because I have something I want to say to you through it. And then suddenly this thing that was just scene setting 20 pages ago suddenly is this incredibly meaningful metaphor that propels the idea of my story because people, the the job ideas that are the language of the head, story is language of the heart, the job of the head is justified decisions the heart has already made. So these ideas that are embedded in this story so that they can be sort of like directly thrust into the heart of humanity is my hope, my dream, you know, through my through my art form. You know, they, they bring it back and go, look at this metaphor that now I can give you back. And and I'm like, what the how how did you do that? How the hell did you do that? You came from my brain. You're my mm-hmm. creation and you're talking back to me. So suddenly Suddenly, this whole uh, predestination free will question just gets completely blown apart because um, these these creatures that I have created on the screen are talking back to me, and suddenly they have determinism in the midst of being created. And I'm like, what the, how the hell do I, I mean? What do I do with this? How how do I process this concept and the the sensation of walking with to being like God in that mm-hmm. moment is, I think, what worship is. Experiencing and touching. So, if somebody's not writing, because I think writing a novel has a lot of a lot of very close one to one parallels, right? Uh, I'm just picturing the person who doesn't know, maybe is not exceptional at any of the arts or crafts that you're mentioning. How do they get to participate in this? Well, first of all, I'd say I think I think there's some lie embedded in that back to our um, functionalist, uh, Uh productive culture, entertainment, consumerist culture that we have. Uh, You you can't bring a six-year-old to the table who doesn't believe they're an artist. Mm -hmm. It's only by the time that they're 10 that they think that they're not. And we we have systematically um, destroyed the artist in the souls of our children and the souls of each other. Um, we, we all, we all, there's a part of every human being and not that some people don't, you know, aren't more 
you know, left brain in their orientation. That's certainly true, and um, neuroscience has proven that. But there's 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 right brain in all of us, and and whether that is how we organize our the the beds in our garden, or um, or sketching, or playing with Play-Doh uh, with our kids, or whatever it might be. Uh, there, there's an artist in all of us, and we all experience it. I mean. It's it's amazing. Uh, I just build a gazebo in my backyard, and sometimes I just go out there and stare at it. Not because, just because I'm just I'm so delighted that that my hammer made something. Uh, and and we oh, I think we all have that feeling where we want to sit back and go, this I, I I was a creator. I was a creator for this period of time. It's it's a tremendous part of being that's human. that's the key though, right? Anything that we can stop and delight in i've watched math people looking at a hard problem and start to get into unraveling the mystery of you oh know, yeah i don't know what they're doing because math is stupid but i see them <laughs> worshipfully and artfully like what i see in their eyes is the same thing when a song is starting to evolve into something or a story so the question is do we do stuff as if we need to put it on a wall and until it's appreciated by others, it's not yet what it's supposed to be. Instead of, nope, I'm delighting it right now. And it, for its own sake, and this moment are enough. Yep. Beautiful. Yep. Well, you artists who are listening today, we're running out of time. But, uh, man, go, go figure out how to engage your life a little slower and a little deeper this week. And then write to us and tell us uh, how it went. And it might be miserable the first few times because we are addicted to going and slowing down is hard if we're not used to it. So expect that it might suck and then do it again until it doesn't suck anymore. Yes. All right. Fant- Amen. Like yeah. yes. Thanks, Tony, for hanging out That's with great. us. It is always oh, to engage uh, interesting and strange topics with you. Love it. Love it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, All man. right. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Stands her ground, he curves 
Kisses her and heads for town And says it's good money for things that we need But she says it's worth nothing to me Cause the way we go about it matters It's the testimony to the end of another visit here uh, on the Pirate Monk Podcast. It was good, wasn't it, to reconnect with our good friend Tony Kriz. Uh, I love the way he got really wound up there at the end uh, of the interview. We're, we're going to have to, okay, we got some letters saying, hey, what's up? You haven't put the YouTube videos up. Uh, and that's good. Good job sending those comments because Nate and I were just talking about should we keep doing the YouTube deal since it doesn't seem like too many people are watching it. But I will do it for a little while more, and I will do today's because uh, what Nate is talking about, I don't think you'll hear in his voice nearly so much as watching him get excited on camera. So you will. <laughs> and yeah, so, Nate. I, I have our big TV in front of me right now because the kids uh-huh. needed the smaller one. It was more portable. So he's like 60 inches or so, and he was so close to the camera, it was really scary when he was getting excited. So, <laughs> listener, check it out on, on YouTube because Tony is a passionate man. Yeah, yeah. And a good guy. And uh, please keep those cards and letters coming. We we, we love to hear from you. We... Well, we uh, we want to hear whatever you have to say. And you the best way to reach us is uh, via email at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, I think that uh, about does it, Aaron. Uh, so unless you got anything else on the agenda we need to cover before we let our friends go, I think we'll say goodbye. I am Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we're your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs>